Please turn to 1 John 5. We're going to be continuing our worship this morning as we look to the pages of Scripture. 1 John 5, we're hopefully going to be getting through this entire chapter this morning, mainly because the things that we've looked at prior to today are mentioned in what we're going to look at here today. I find the Apostle John repeats himself a fair bit to get his point across, and I trust you'll see that as we read this. Let's read verse 1, 1 John 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe, God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we asked, have asked. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. 
and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth that we can read and understand. And Lord, I thank you that we can read this morning in Ephesians 2 that there are immeasurable riches of your grace. Lord, we are in need of those every moment of our lives. We are in need of your grace. And just as you promised to bless us with every spiritual blessing, may we understand that you have immeasurable amounts of grace and the riches given of that grace. We thank you for being there for us, being faithful. And we ask yet again that you would be teaching us in this way once more. That the name of Christ would be exalted for his honor and glory we pray. Amen. First John chapter 5. And if you noticed in our reading of that, you can kind of see a lot of repetition that John makes, okay? John is a little bit different than the Apostle Paul, okay? Um, I find the Apostle John a little simpler, okay? And I think I can say that, just a little simpler, a little clearer, if you will. And chapter 4, last week we looked at, he's kind of repeating himself again, and even here in chapter 5, he says a lot of the same things. So we're going to really zip through this this morning. It'll be a fairly short sermon. Someone say amen, okay? It'll be a fairly short sermon this morning. Um, but believe it or not, I have nine points for you. That's not a joke, okay? I have nine points, but we're going to work right through these real quick, okay? So I realize that it's confusing and you're going to laugh. It's okay. Nine points. We're going to work through them fairly quickly here. The first one that we see, if you're taking notes, is a believer's love for God. Look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we, what, love God and obey his commandments. Okay? We're going to make our way through here, finishing a sentence called a believer's. Okay? And the first one is a believer's love for God. That's what John is talking about again here. A lot of the book of 1 John talks about, John is talking about the importance of loving, okay? The importance of us to love others, but how that emanates from our love for God, okay? And know this, please, that your love for God is the framework by which all of your spiritual growth is built upon, Okay? If you want to grow in a spiritual manner in specific areas in your life, marriage, family, relationship with your children, co-workers, okay? If you want to love them the way God would have you and the way we've been looking at here in 1 John, you have to understand that it begins with a love for God. 
You can't skip that. That is the most important step, a love for God. And we see this in Deuteronomy, and it's later talked about in the Gospels. Deuteronomy 6 gives us a clear instruction to the importance of this point. Deuteronomy 6 says this, verse 1, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. And that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That passage is Jehovah, Yahweh, God, telling the nation of Israel the importance of loving him. And he wants them to love him. And he mentions there about the, the heart. And that's really the seat of the emotions of someone, okay? And if, and if you can incline your heart to God, you're taking steps that will ultimately lead to loving God. Listen to Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The importance of loving God begins with turning our hearts towards God, okay? This is the most essential step. Verse one and two, we see a believer's love for God. Moving right along, point two. A believer's love for God's people. Okay, we're gonna read the exact same verses, but think of it in light of a believer's love for God's people, okay? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God. By this, we know how when we love God and obey his commandments. Do you see how the two are intertwined there in that verse? He mentions them twice, okay? Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Do you know what that means? That means anyone who has been born again, any believer, okay? Your church friend. Verse two, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. It's impossible to separate the two. It's impossible to love God and not love his people. 
It's impossible to just love God's people and not love God. To separate them is absurd. To separate them is absurd. Look at Ephesians 4.13. Ephesians 4.13 says this, Until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You know, it's very difficult to be in unity when no one loves each other, right? And if our goal as a church is to be a unified body of believers, we have to first love God, and then we secondly have to love God's people. And a passage, a scripture that convicts my heart often, John 13, 35, maybe you can finish it. By this, all people will know you are my disciples, if what? If you have love for one another. Showing us, telling us the importance of loving each other and not missing the fact that how we love another person shows that person how much we love God. And if I could say, one of the greatest temptations that you'll face as a believer today is to not extend love to a fellow believer. That will be one of the greatest temptations within the people of God that you face, to not love a fellow brother or sister in Christ. But John is clear, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So we see a believer's love for God, we've seen a believer's love for God's people. Now we see in verse three, a believer keeps the commandments. Listen to verse three, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. The word keep here is defined to cause a state to continue. To cause to continue, to retain, or to keep. Okay? And Spurgeon says in regards to this passage, love is a practical thing. Love without obedience is mere pretense. True love shows itself by seeking to please the one who is loved. May God the Holy Ghost work in us perfect obedience to the commands of God that we may prove that we really do love Him. Keeping the commandments of God, understanding that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself, and understanding that God's word, these, these commandments, the, the scriptures, okay, are the things that we need to keep, to follow. And that's not a very popular thing to encourage because you start to deal with a little bit of legalism and people wonder about that. And what does it mean? Are you saying I need to, to follow the law? 
keeping the commandments of God is, is, is merely following in line with the scriptures. And I think we have to understand the importance of the scriptures, okay? Psalm 19 is a beautiful psalm that teaches us a little bit about how we have to follow this law of God and keep these commandments that John is talking about, okay? Listen to the, the beauty that the psalmist talks about God in the first six verses, and then listen to the transition, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens, and it's circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. Listen to the transition here. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of God is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they even than gold, much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, okay, is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is what? Great reward. Elsewhere in Scripture, not only in this beautiful passage here, you see instances where we are called to follow after the things of God. And we have to understand that a true believer keeps the commandments, keeps the precepts of God, follows after these things that, despite what may come about in your heart or mind when you think of that, they bring about reviving the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing in the heart, enlightening the eyes, enduring forever, the righteous altogether, and they are to be more desired than anything. These commandments, the scriptures, are something that a believer keeps, continues in, and no pastor or teacher can convince you of those last few verses that we read in Psalm 19. To value them more than anything. I, I can't convince you of that. All I can do is stress that we need to be following the things of God and you have to see it for yourself in a time when it's real to you. So a believer loves God, a believer loves the people of God. Thirdly, a believer keeps the commandments. Fourthly, a believer overcomes the world. Look at verse four. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. 
And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our belief, our trust. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This word overcome means to win a victory over, to be victorious over, to be a victor, or to conquer. If only there was some way of applying that to today, right? Overcoming the world. And not only do we have a situation in our world today where this is applicable, okay? It's not just limited to that. It goes beyond, okay? And it applies to us as a body of believers, and folks, it applies to you as an individual believer. You may be facing something that the rest of us are not, but your victory in that through Christ is just as applicable as it is for us to say that we have victory over the things the world has. Other passages in Scripture that lead us to understand this, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through, by means, or on account of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6, 16 says this, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Speaking of the armor of God. Understanding that when we face these things, we can't overcome them. In a passage of scripture that the Lord brought me to in my study this week, I'd like for you to turn to John 16. John 16, verse 31. In speaking of this, this overcoming, this victory in Christ, Jesus answered them, do you now believe, his disciples were being disciply, often they did that, he's kind of correcting them now. Verse 32, behold the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And I don't think I need to continue that point any longer. We understand how that applies to us as a church. We understand how that applies to us individually. And I want to encourage you and challenge you to think in light of this passage. Specifically, that passage teaching us that God has overcome. I follow a, a fair bit of famous preachers, if you will, on Twitter. And one of them tweeted this week, said, Pastor, preach the gospel this Sunday, in case you're wondering what to speak about, right? The gospel. Why? Because the gospel is a beautiful thing that applies across the board, okay? 
You can insert any tribulation. But God has promised that his people will overcome. Just to make sure you're awake here halfway through, how many of you are encouraged by that fact? Yeah, I am too. I am too. A believer overcomes the world. Now let's move right along here. In uh, verse 6, we see a little bit of a transition here. A believer's testimony, okay? We see here a believer's testimony. Verse 6 through 12 talks about this, this testimony of God, okay? And remember, a lot of the things that John was speaking against um, was docetism and Gnosticism, okay? Which Gnosticism taught that, that matter was bad and spirit was good so that Jesus couldn't have come in, in the flesh uh, because that would have been a, a bad thing. And they, they claimed to have higher knowledge. Docetism, or Docetism rather, taught that um, Christ didn't really come in the flesh at all. It's more of just this euphoric um, message. But John talks about that in chapter 2 and in chapter 4, and he touches on it a little bit here when he says that Christ did come in the water and the blood, speaking of baptism and in the, on the cross, okay, the water and the blood. And this, this testimony, this witness, okay, is something that these believers have, a believer's testimony, something that they witness to. Listen to what John Stott says about verse 10. Indeed, to accept the testimony of God and to believe in the Son of God are virtually synonymous expressions, okay? So to say that you believe in the Son of God, the person of Jesus Christ, is to say that you accept the testimony of God, and you are a witness to that testimony of God. Now, I am often reminded in my own self the fact that God would allow us to receive the testimony of God, to receive His message and to be a witness to him, for him, to others. In a passage that I'd like for us to read, maybe I'll just read it for you in 1 Corinthians 1. Talks a little bit about this. Verse 4 says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the testimony of God should cause us to understand that he intends to carry out his work in us. And that's what John is speaking of here. He says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. And oftentimes, in fact, every single time in the book of 1 John, when John speaks of any, any heresy, he then ends off by encouraging these believers. And he does so here. He talks about Jesus coming in the water of, in the blood, referencing those who were denying um, Jesus' deity. And he says, whoever believes in the Son of God 
You have the testimony in yourself. Whoever does not believe, God has made a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has been born concerning his son. And this testimony continues today in us. So a believer's testimony. Next, we see a believer's future. Look at verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. A believer's future, okay, is one of the most encouraging things we can see in scripture. A believer's future is one of those things that we can look at at any point in our lives and be encouraged by. Why? Because it is absolute communion with Christ. Listen to John's writing of uh, the Lord's words in John 10.10. I came that they may have life and have it what? More abundantly. That word abundantly means, okay, listen to this. I love definitions. Pertaining to a quantity, okay, so abundant as to be considerably more than what one would expect or anticipate. That which is more than, more than enough, beyond the norm. If only that definition made it clear, right? Understanding that life in God with the future hope of eternal life is far greater than we could ever ask. And Paul talks about this in Philippians. Philippians 3 says this. Not that I have already obtained, in verse 12, this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us be bold, let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul speaking of this upward call of God into his life, of being absolutely conformed to the image of Christ in himself is part of our future. And I wanna encourage you this morning, if you are a believer in Christ, you have a future home in heaven with him. And if you do not this morning, then may the Lord do work in your heart even now. Next, we see a believer's practice. Look at verse 18. After the section he talks about of prayer, he kind of moves to the closing here. The beginning part of verse 18 says this, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, okay? Habitual sin is not a mark of a saint of God. 
We're not referencing here struggles. We're not referencing here mistakes. We're referencing here what John is speaking of is this habitual, sinful behavior. That lifestyle, that way of life coincides with the passage here in Hebrews 5. I'll read it for you. About this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you against the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish between good and evil, okay? Those who are still in the milk stages of their spiritual walk, okay, don't understand this passage, okay? We have to understand that if we are continually, habitually in some form of sin, day in and day out, and calling ourselves a believer in Christ, we're, as one preacher puts it, in the first rung of Christianity, okay? And be challenged. In our earlier point, we keep his commandments. Be challenged to question what a believer's practice should be. A believer's practice should not be living in sin. Next, we see a believer's protection. This is a good one here, a believer's protection. Look at the last part of verse 18. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. This passage can bring to us encouragement as a believer. And maybe you've read the first part of that verse and you you're maybe confused. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Well, well, how? Right? And you hear the excuse often, well, the devil made me do it, right? I've never actually heard it, but I hear it's out there, right? That excuse does not make sense with the later part of this verse. But he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. Understanding that we are protected as a believer in Christ. Just one passage. If you would like to jot some other ones down that point to that, Psalm 84, 9 through 12, Deuteronomy 31, 6. But we're going to read 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. It says this, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. A believer's protection. And lastly, we see a believer's understanding. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. John gives this word understanding here, which points to how we perceive things. And a believer in Christ perceives things differently than an unbeliever. 
okay? We read earlier in Ephesians 2 that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. Someone who is dead understands a little differently than someone who is alive, right? And in a spiritual sense, in a sense of our church, of your life with God, and us as a church globally, we understand things differently because we are indeed made spiritually alive in Christ. And this understanding is only for the believer. Now, a couple contexts here. Maybe you're witnessing with someone, sharing the gospel with someone. Maybe you're trying to counsel someone, okay? Understand that if that person does not believe in Christ, they're going to have a hard time understanding the beautiful things found in Scripture. Okay, on Tuesday night, we had a, a wonderful Bible study time at Peter and Gail's. We've been studying the book of Ephesians, and we're, we're studying, and, and we love it, and we're all understanding it, and it's all great, right? I bet if you recorded that and then showed it to the world, they would think we're nuts, right? And I would probably agree with them, right? Why? Because the things of God are beautiful only to the people of God. And this understanding of the Son of God should cause us to humbly thank God for allowing us to be part of his family, to be part of his work. Because there are a lot of people in our world today, specifically with the time and period that we're in, who I would wish and pray had the beautiful understanding of the scriptures. Lord, thank you for giving to us your word. Lord, an amazing amount of grace you showed towards us that you not only forgave our sin, but then you adopted us and then you gave us an inheritance. Grace upon grace is what we see in your gospel. Grace upon grace is what we see in your word. Why? Because you are a gracious God. But Lord, you are not a God that overlooks sin. And I pray if there's someone here this morning who's struggling with belief, struggling with repentance, I pray you would bring them to a place where they turn from their sin. And I pray that we as believers would daily be brought to a place where we turn from our sin. And we thank you for being good to us day in and day out. Bless us as we go our ways today. And we also pray for our nation, our world this time. Lord, you are in control. You are sovereign. We, we understand that. And we just pray that you'd help us to trust that. Help us to be mindful. Help us to be spending time more in prayer and in your word. And help us to be an encouragement to those that you call us to be. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.